Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's good to be with you again this week. Folks, we are literally at the end of the legislative session. They're not going to be done officially until next Friday, uh, until the 27th, which is when they are constitutionally required to adjourn a sine die. But as we record this at around three o'clock on Friday, it is widely expected that the legislature will uh, adjourn to the call of the chair today, which means they don't have to come back next week unless they need to. And that need to could be because the governor vetoes the budget or any number of other bills that they want to come back and override. So today's episode is going to be all about the budget. Uh, Both Scott and Bailey are out of town, which leaves you with me and one illustrious guest, Emma Morris, who is the healthcare and revenue policy analyst for the Oklahoma Policy Institute. Emma, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're excited for you to be here and talk about the budget. It is, I believe, one of, if not the largest state budgets in history for Oklahoma. Yes. Is it actually the largest or just like really close to it? So when we look at nominal dollars, which means unadjusted for things like inflation, this is the largest budget that we've seen um, in state history. However, that doesn't necessarily tell the um, the entire economic story of a state, a state and its budget and what it can afford. Um, so when we adjust for things like inflation and for population growth, um, we're still you know, we have more this year than we have in the last about decade, but we're still below levels that we saw in the early 2000s. Right. I'm really glad you made that point. Uh, and this was on purpose because we see headlines as, well, we see press releases or comments from members of the legislature that say, this is the largest budget in state history. And it's like, well, there's an asterisk after that, or there should be, because because nominal dollars is not the best way to measure the actual size or the the functional size of a budget over time, right? That's right. I may, you know, if you make, um, you know, twenty thousand dollars, and then ten years later you get a raise to twenty five thousand dollars, you know, you're making more money, but it's arguably paying for going not as far, right? Like everything else costs more. All of these things go go up. That's the way it works. Exactly. And it works the exact same with the state budget and what our state can spend, right? So if you think about, um, let's say, public education, they have a certain amount of money every year to spend. Um, But if their appropriation doesn't increase at the rate of inflation every year, um, then they're, you know, effectively getting a budget cut. um, Because as things like, as the things that public schools pay for to provide public schooling to our children, um, as those, the cost of those things increase, our state budget should theoretically increase with those costs to help cover the additional costs. But that's not always, uh, not even usually the case in Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, I think often we hear, you know, that, oh, it was a flat budget. Everyone was held flat. And that is effectively a decrease, right? If, if your pay was held flat year after year, you would, that's a, a feels like a, pay cut right like right you're because you, you can right you can buy less than you could the year before that's right and with uh the inflation that we are currently experiencing which is not expected to last forever and in fact there's a strong argument that we're reaching peak inflation um the people feel it in fact i saw a little while ago that the average 
price per gallon of gas uh, is expected to hit $6 in August. Now, I don't remember who expected this. It's probably some bank, but um, but if that's the case, you know, to compare that to the minimum wage, which is seven twenty-five, it's like, oh, so I can work a whole hour for one gallon of gas. Uh, that's not that's not a that's not a way to run a country, you might say. Right, definitely not a good uh, a good way to run the state budget for sure. That's right. Yeah. Well, let's um, let's kind of dig in a little bit to the budget this year. I want to ask you about some specific highlights of things we've heard a lot about in the news or that we've talked about here on this program. Um, but before we get into some of those, could you give us kind of a 30,000 foot view of how this budget stacks up against previous years and, and maybe where Oklahomans might feel or notice, you know, increases, decreases, how those kind of shifts? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start by saying that um, a lot of what we've been hearing from legislators or in the news is that we, we have a budget of about $9.7, $9.8 billion. Um, but that just accounts for the general appropriations bill. So if we really want to think about the state budget as a whole, we should think about what they're appropriating money to um, outside of just that general appropriations bill. So when we account for the general appropriations, as well as for several incentives, incentive programs um, and things of that nature that the legislature uh, introduced as a part of the budget and is in the process of passing, then the, the total budget is actually about $10.9 billion. Um, so it's, it's a little bit larger than what we might be hearing um, in the news. Uh, as I said earlier, we always adjust that number for uh, population growth and for inflation. Um, and so with our $10.9 billion budget this year, um, we're sitting at about 11% this year's budget is about 11% smaller than the year 2000 when we adjust for those things. And as we talked about, we adjust for those things to really help us see the, the full picture of the economic and fiscal picture in Oklahoma. Um, so we are, this year's budget is definitely um, larger than it has been in the, pa in the past few years, um, but we are still sort of seeing a decline from where we used to be in the early 2000s. So 11% smaller than it was 22 years ago. Is that what I heard you say? That's, I mean, that's substantial. That means we're having to do a whole lot more with a lot less money. Exactly. Really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say that, you know, a few years ago, our state budget was closer to 20, 25% smaller than it was in the year 2000. So we have made a lot of gains, um, partly because of, you know, revenue packages that the legislature the revenue package that the legislature passed in 2018 um, because of, you know, all this pandemic money that's flowing around the economy. Um, but so there's several different reasons, but we are doing better this year than we have in recent years. But I mean, I know that just on one data point alone, right, the population of our state grew uh, five to seven percent in the last decade, right? To say nothing about the decade before that. And so to know that we have more people in our state and we're spending less money means that we've had to make some significant cuts to some state services. Now, I guess people could argue that we only cut those that were, you know, waste, fraud, and abuse, things we didn't really need that government shouldn't do. Uh, but that's not really how it ever plays out, right? Like, I, I rarely see them say, okay, this agency just can go away entirely. They tend to kind of just tamp down 
on multiple categories or multiple agencies or everybody, as we saw the last, you know, five years ago, like they really did across the board cuts to every agency. And so that ends up where we are now, 11% down over 20 years. Uh, and, but that is as you said, a little higher than it was like five years ago when things were <laughs> really dire, I think. In our city. Yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely right. Um, we're definitely in a better position than we were about five years ago. Um, I will say that um, just because we're in a better position than five years ago doesn't mean that we're adequately or fully funding our state services. Um, I think it's easy to forget sometimes that the services that our state provides really benefit every single one of us, right? We always think about, you know, um, public education. All So many of our kids in Oklahoma are, are being um, educated by public schools. The Department of Transportation makes sure that our roads are drivable. Um, so these agencies that are being appropriated funds through the state budget, they really do impact every single one of us, no matter um, our income, where we live, what our background is. So just something to keep in mind when we're talking about this money, right? Because it's it's the money of the people of Oklahoma. And when we pool that tax money together and we um, invest in Oklahomans, we're all feeling those benefits. Speaking of uh, money that we pay in, one of the aspects of this year's budget negotiations was a payment backed to Oklahomans. What's the, where did that end up? What's the status of that? Yeah, so um, as part of the budget agreement, um, legislators are proposing um, a bill that would basically give $75 to Oklahomans who file the, any income tax return. Um, so $75 for single filers and $150 for married filers. Um, that's going to cost the state about $181 million. Um, you know, when we went into session, there was a lot of talk about permanently cutting income, personal income tax, um, which would have really caused long-term harm to the state's ability um, to fund those services we were just talking about. Um, and so a one-time tax rebate is, you know, going to be a little bit better for the state in the short term. Um, and the long term, because we're not going to see long term revenue decline because of this one time um, rebate. However, I do think it's necessary to point out that um, this rebate goes to anyone who files an income tax, regardless of income. And so, you know, you think about someone making $10,000 a year, that $75 is going to go a long way. Someone making $100,000 a year, that $75 isn't going to make a big difference, right, in their lives and, and their everyday happenings. Um, and so it's just the legislature could have done something a little bit more targeted, maybe towards just the lower and middle class Oklahomans, um, maybe increase those payments a little bit, um, really targeted towards the people who are feeling the burden of inflation, right, and who are seeing their buying power be um, withered away. And so, um, you know, the $75 payment is better than fully or, or permanently cutting the income tax, but there are definitely ways that we could have improved that in order to really make a difference in the lives of Oklahomans. Yeah, I mean, that's it comes out to a couple of tanks of gas, right? Or groceries for, or some groceries, not the price of groceries is high. So you can get some groceries for a week. And, you know, I think everyone is appreciative of having more money in their pocket, but the the magic of uh, a diversified tax base is that 
everybody pays in and that money is then pooled and can go a long way together, right? So while it's only $75 to you or to me on for the state in aggregate, you said it was $181 million. So that's like 3,000 teachers we could have hired, right? Like it, there's a flip side to this that it, if we give the money back, it means that we can't, as a state, spend it on things that we would, that we need. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, when we pull that money together, it goes so much further um, than $75 goes for one person. I, I mean, I, you know, there are a lot of Oklahomans who will use that $75 and who need that $75, right? But in the spirit of easing inflation and truly helping Oklahomans, a more targeted um, rebate, maybe a one-time expansion of the earned income tax credit or something like that, um, would have gone a lot further towards achieving the goal of using that one-time money for a one-time payment, but actually helping people who, who could really use it. Right. Yeah. Because this also means that Harold Ham gets $75 back and I don't, I don't think he needs it. I don't know his finances intimately, but I'm pretty certain he doesn't need that $75 and won't even notice because it's not him that does his taxes. Yeah. Well, um, Another item that was uh, garnered a lot of attention and discussion this year was some sort of uh, elimination of the grocery sales tax, the state sales tax on groceries, or some kind of credit to help offset the cost of it. And I think the last time you were on the show, we talked about this. What happened with that? Great question. Um, yes, there was a lot of discussion about this this session. Um, with some people saying, let's cut the state sales tax completely. Um, others saying, let's cut the entire sales tax on groceries completely. And then um, others saying that we should keep the tax, but create a or expand an existing credit um, to sort of offset the cost of that tax for low-income Oklahomans. Um, doing providing that tax relief through the credit would um, would have provided that more targeted tax relief. As you were saying earlier, fully eliminating the state sales tax on groceries would have meant people like Harold Ham were not paying sales tax on groceries. Um, offsetting that cost with the tax credit would have meant that people who can afford to pay that tax are still paying it. Um, but people who are struggling to make ends meet and to pay that tax would have been able to offset the cost with the credit. Um, but the debate at this point um, didn't didn't cross the finish line because as part of the budget negotiation, um, there was no movement on the grocery sales tax or the credit. Um, I imagine it will continue to be a discussion for the next few years. Um, I know lawmakers on both sides of the aisle um, have expressed public interest about um, figuring out how to make that system work a little bit better for Oklahomans. So I imagine it will continue to be um, a discussion that's had by a lot of people. Um, but this year, we likely aren't going to see any changes um, to that tax, at least not in the budget negotiation that they've currently laid out. Yeah. Um, so maybe let's look at some of the agencies. Now, I know you have a giant spreadsheet with all this data. Um, are there any like big winners or big losers that you think are worth highlighting? Didn't I think the Department of Health got a pretty big bump this year? 
which they I'm certainly scrolling. Yeah, so scrolling through my uh, big spreadsheet that you discussed, uh, it looks like health department got about a 4% increase. Which is a small percentage, but that's a lot of money because they're a big agency. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there definitely were um, some investments that the legislators um, are going to be making this year. Um, I think one of the biggest ones and the one that a lot of folks have probably seen in the news um, is an increase of $32.5 million to uh, the Department of Human Services, um, specifically to eliminate the uh, waiting list for Oklahomans with developmental disabilities. So I'm sure your listeners probably know um, there are hundreds of Oklahomans um, who are currently waiting for services that will help them live everyday lives, um, Oklahomans with developmental disabilities. And some of those individuals have been waiting 13 years for services. Um, Fixing this issue has been on the priority list for a lot of legislators for a long time. Um, And finally, this year, it looks like that might be at least closer to a reality. So as I said, there's $32.5 million. Um, The legislators are directing that that be used to provide services to more people, as well as provide a 25% rate increase for the providers who um, actually provide those services, those assistant services. Um, And so hopefully this means that we'll finally be able to get those hundreds, I think it's about 500 Oklahomans, the services that they've been waiting so long for. Um, There are several other agencies that got um, some investments, uh, although the size of, so we'll talk about the Department of Mental Health real quick. Yeah. Um, The size of their uh, increase is about 6% over last year. Um, And they, the legislature also specified that they have um, that the, the Department of Mental Health should use some of this increase for s- certain reasons. So um, there are a couple that really stood out to me. One being um, about two million dollars to expand services for kids with acute behavioral health needs. So um, in discussing this provision, Senator Thompson um, talked about how there are a lot of there are often kids who spend the night in emergency rooms or similar while they're waiting for mental health inpatient treatment. And so this will help hopefully help mitigate some of those issues. Uh, Mental health also got a $500,000 amount, I guess, that they are going to use to run pilot programs in county jails where where they will provide individuals with medication-assisted treatment um, as they're trying to um, confront and treat uh, uh, substance abuse. And so there, those are just a few examples of things, you know, we have extra money this year. Um, and so legislators in some areas really did choose to make those targeted investments, which are going to um, honestly pay dividends for Oklahomans as we're able to live healthier and, and you know, more robust lives because of some of these things. Yeah. Um I saw that the attorney attorney general's office also got an additional like well there I don't know the additional but their appropriation was thirty two million dollars this year, which is pretty significant. I think it's a, a pretty big bump. We knew that there was a, a bill to give them like an extra ten million to fight federal government overreach, um, but it's somewhat awkward. I think that it came out this week uh, because also uh, earlier this week on uh, on Wednesday the eighteenth. KOSU um, had a story that 
um, highlighted that Oklahoma, the, the state paid outside counsel, so a different attorney's office, double the fees for arguing the uh, the McGirt case. And it came out to like 1.4 million. And so I know I had a number of attorneys who texted me and said, holy moly, that got paid $1.4 million for doing basically like one filing in an oral argument. Um, and it was, they had originally been contracted for like 700,000 and they added on um, an additional supplement for that. Uh, and so when we see a big appropriation, like the 32 million, the AG's office is, is getting, I mean, it's pretty well known that this money is supposed to go towards funding these type of efforts. Um, the state is trying to, in their minds, push back against federal overreach, I guess was what they explicitly said. Um, but again, this means that that money is not going towards other state services that could benefit from it. Um, do you happen to have in front of you, Emma, like how much the AG's office got last year? So I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I actually do. So in for fiscal year 22, the AG's office, gonna make sure I'm looking at the right number, got about 26 million. And there's actually another bill that's part of the budget sort of package um, that would give another 5.3 to the AG, bringing them to 38 this year. So that is about a 46% increase over last year. Um, if that if that second bill ultimately passes as part of the budget agreement. Um, so yeah, a really significant increase. And as you said, they have stated that um, it is to fight, quote, federal overreach, um, which, you know, could be anything from McGirt to um, anything else they decide is worth suing. That's right. About. That's right. As a reminder, listeners, the Oklahoma Attorney General is an elected position and there will be a, a very important primary election um, between two or three Republicans uh, in June, June 28th. Uh, and then the winner of that, well, if, if there's a runoff, it'll be in August. But whoever the Republican nominee, I think, faces, I think, a libertarian in the general election in November. So anyway, if this is something you care about, listeners. Don't forget, you actually get to vote for who the, who the AG is. And that person gets to decide how they spend the money. Or if they give it back, I guess that's an option. They could not spend it and give it back to the state for reappropriation somewhere else. That doesn't ever happen, though. <laughs> I don't. Once you get the money, you find ways to spend it. Um, all right. Well, uh, Emma, uh, I know one other thing that's been pretty widely discussed this year, this session, is what's called Project Ocean. Uh, which is, I think we all know now, like that's the incentive money that the governor asked to be set aside to entice Panasonic or some other unnamed company um, to move to Oklahoma or invest in Oklahoma. Specifically, Panasonic is looking at building a battery factory. Um, but they, you know, kind of hinted there could be others out there. And when that bill passed to authorize that um, several weeks ago, it, the thing that I heard from everybody was that that kind of took the wind out of the sails of a lot of these other um, tax credit, rebate, discount things, right? They're like, oh, well, if we're going to give $700 million to this, then we can't afford to like, you know, eliminate the corporate income tax or those things. Did that actually play out that way? Did, in your your observations, your estimate, did, 
the, the energy and the money that went towards Project Ocean end up um, kind of cutting the the other things out of the negotiations? Yeah, so I, I don't, you know, know what lawmakers were thinking in their heads as they were, um, you know, I don't know what their reasoning was about why or why not to ultimately cut taxes. I um, will say that as a part of the budget negotiation, there was nothing, there, there was no corporate income tax cut. There was no, um, there, you know, throughout session, there had been a lot of talk about also eliminating um, what's called the franchise tax. And to my knowledge, I don't believe that um, was a part of the budget deal either. And so I think, you know, there was a lot of discussion about um, if lawmakers can spend 700 million on a corporation, they can also spend, you know, increased investments or targeted investments in Oklahomans, <laughs> the people who live here, you know, especially the people who um, are maybe struggling a little bit to get by or who are needing um, a little bit more assistance. And so um, I heard a lot of conversations about that and about people um, sort of seeing that as an opportunity to talk about the need for not only things like economic development, but also um, investing in development uh, of the people who live here. So um, as I said, I don't know what lawmakers were thinking, but I do think that um, that was sort of some of the calculus uh, behind those decisions. That's such an interesting uh, way to frame it too. Like it, it with the disability waiting list, right? If we uh, are gonna invest that much money to address a need we know exists, imagine what other kind of moonshot projects we could do um, on behalf of the people of our state that aren't necessarily like going to help a corporation who is for profit, it generates lots of money already. Um, there's other other ways that money could be spent. I, there's a lot that goes into it. I get that. But just for a mental exercise, everyone, imagine what the state could do with $700 million to help people. Uh, and in fact, uh, I will mention this when we come back to it, but that money that's being spent on Project Ocean is supposed to be part of, or it is part of the call for a special session that the legislature made this week. They're running a concurrent special session to address two things, the federal American Rescue Plan money, or ARPA money, that the state has received but not yet spent, um, as well as that Project Ocean funding. And I guess from what it sounds like is that they recognize that Panasonic may not choose us. And then what happens to that money? So I think they want to come back and say, okay, we're going to come back and devise a plan for how to spend that money to benefit Oklahomans, uh, presumably, I guess they could come back and say they're going to cut corporate income tax or something instead, but uh, they'll come back in the coming weeks, uh, like next week, and then coming months to uh, to review that. And who knows, we'll see what happens. But I think they're doing this special session now, one, so they can pass the budget, send it to the governor so that he has time to review it and either sign it or veto it, right? And if, so if they send them the budget and then they adjourn sine die today, that means the governor has 15 days to sign veto or take no action. But if they don't adjourn sine die today, if they just adjourn to the call of the chair, he only has five days, which means he has to act on it by next Thursday. That's the 26th. Um, and I know there's lots of, uh, 
discussions about whether or not he will. But, uh, and we don't, as you said, we don't know what's in their heads. But let's say he does. Uh, Emma, what happens if the governor vetoes the budget? Does the state just go broke? Does everything shut down for a few weeks? Let's hope not. Um, so if the governor does veto the budget, which, you know, as you said, we don't know what's in his head, but it doesn't necessarily re reflect what he said um, he wanted at the beginning of session in his state of the state. So that we'll sort of just wait and see what he does with that. Um, but if they do end up vetoing it, or if he does end up vetoing it, um, basically legislators would be able to come back, as you said, at the call of the chair and override that veto if they feel strongly enough about it. Um, I believe it's three fourths majority to override a veto. And so could be two thirds. Um, it's a strong majority though. And um, so, you know, they may, I think in past years have had the um, the numbers to override a veto. And so, um, you know, theoretically they would come back, do that. And then, and then we would go on as normal. He can also line item veto it, things in the budget too, right? I think so. Yes. I have not um, been around or at least working on the budget when he has done that, I don't think. So I don't know exactly what the procedure is if he does something like that. That's interesting. I can think of it. A, I know that it's occurred a few times and I can't, of course, on right now on the spot, think of what those were, but where the, the governor just like said, okay, no, not this, no, not that. Like, and they were pretty smaller amounts, like a few million. <laughs> That's We just toss it around a few million dollars here or there. Um, but I think then that money just stays in the general revenue fund and either rolls over to the next year or in some cases, you know, uh, I don't know, we get hit by a global pandemic and they're suddenly out of cash. Those things happen. Yeah, no, that actually reminds me. Um, I believe that um, Representative Wallace, in when he was discussing the budget uh, today, I believe he said, even with this, all of this money appropriated, we still have about $504 million in cash, basically, um, sitting in the general revenue fund. Um, and that so I assume if the governor vetoed a line item vetoed something, it would just sort of go into that pot of 504. Does that, because the, the only money that goes into like the rainy day fund, they have to specifically appropriate into that fund. So I believe that when the board of equalization certifies the revenue estimates for a coming fiscal year, um, there's a certain percent that if certified by the board, it just goes directly in. Um, so they typically don't, appropriate to the general revenue or the revenue stabilization. I think they can, but I think most of the time it is automatic. They can and do appropriate to the rate preservation fund, which is our third savings account in Oklahoma, which is used to um, sort of help balance out provider Medicaid provider rates whenever federal matching dollars change. Um, so, and they made a few appropriations to that fund in this bill this year. How interesting. Well, I, as you were talking, I remembered that we have now multiple rainy day funds, essentially. Um, and I'm curious how some of those are performing based on projections from three or four years ago when they were proposed. In fact, I believe that uh, Oklahoma City Mayor Holt, when he was a senator, was the author of one of those bills. Um, I'd be curious to see how that's how that's playing out. I mean, the goal of all of them, I think, was to provide stabilization to revenue. So hopefully that's that's helped, although it's been a bit of a 
bumpy ride the last couple of years that was not expected when they passed those bills. Yeah, um, I, I think um, that so, so uh, throughout session, several times it's been said we have record or close to record amounts in our savings account. Um, when the Board of Equalization certified this year's revenues, um, I believe they said we are the we have the fourth largest savings account in the nation. Um, so it appears that we've been pretty good at saving. I think the question is, how much do we get to? Right. We have um, by the end of this year, I think we're projected to have over two billion dollars. Um, and so the question is, like, when do we stop saving and start spending um, on some of those things we've talked about? Right. Yeah, that's been tough. You know, when Governor Stitt was elected, one of his pledges was to increase the state's savings account because from when which was also one of governor fallon's pledges and from when she because when she took office i think she says they had like two dollars and 17 cents or something it was a very small amount in the rainy day fund and then it grew they did they made some policy changes and it grew very big uh but then we had an economic downturn and some bad fiscal policy and all of that got erased really quickly right and I think this is something we all relate to, man. Just when you think you're getting ahead, some unexpected expense comes through, car accident, kid breaks his arm, whatever. And like, whoosh, all that money you saved for months is like gone in a heartbeat. So that's what happened. So then Governor Stitt took office and started at the bottom, right? And then pretty quickly, because times had changed, we were having some pretty good economic success, grew that up to um, what was then, I think, the largest uh, rainy day fund we'd had in state history, but then boom, again, pandemic hit and we had to spend some of that money. And since then we've had this huge influx of federal funds to help cover a lot of things. Right. And there was lots of discussion and some lawsuits about whether or not states could use federal funding to supplant their existing funding. And I think what happened, you know, and is, I guess, arguably still happening is, more COVID money is still filtering in through ARPA and other things that a lot of the stuff that's the money that we would have spent on infrastructure or on just operations was indeed supplanted or like filled in by federal funds. And that's made it a little more stable on the state ends. Uh, the question then is what happens when this federal money runs out once we spend it on this stuff. Um, and, and we don't even know where all it might go with the ARPA funds because um, the way it is now, the governor's office of the administration is in charge of spending it. They solicited you know, they put out a call for proposals or requests for proposals and received, I don't know, $200 million worth of requests or something and or $200 billion of requests. And they only have like 1.7 billion to spend. And, They've, they haven't funded it. And so that's why the legislature is calling this special session um, to go in and review them. There's a lawsuit, uh, I think, from Nondoc or Oklahoma Watch um, to try to get uh, to get the list of requests released because it, we don't know who requested what. Um, and it would, that seems like a pretty normal thing to request. Uh, so we'll see over the next several months. Um, if that information comes out and and who the legislature decides to recommend that that money be spent on. Yeah, no, the, the ARPA money is, um, is gonna, it's going to be really interesting to watch and see what they do. Um, so it, it's, 
In Oklahoma right now, we have sort of our general revenue fund that is currently being appropriated. And then we also have um, our American Rescue Plan Act funds or the ARPA funds. In some states, they have just appropriated those as part of the state budget. Um, in Oklahoma, um, we our state leaders opted to sort of use two separate processes to so to go about our general appropriations like normal, um, which you know allows outside observers to sort of see how our general appropriations um, compare to previous and that in future years. Um, but they do have this opportunity with the ARPA dollars to um, identify those those maybe one time or maybe um, so, so maybe one time needs or maybe needs that we can invest in now and then see the payoff in a few years whenever that federal money is gone. Um, they have the opportunity to identify those those things and then and then with all this money, hopefully actually invest in them. Um, and so, as you said, the, they should be using, they will likely use a special session for that. And so um, I think that's definitely something to watch just to see, because, you know, our state does have a lot of needs. I think all of your listeners could probably identify at least a few. Um, and so this is just a really good opportunity for the state to identify those and invest in them and you know, hopefully lawmakers will see it that way as well. Yeah. And the ARPA money isn't just at the state level. It's at the county and the municipal level as well. And I would willing to bet that some of the requests that the state received were from cities and counties who said, hey, listen, we're not getting as much money as you, but could we partner together on this deal? We'll put in 10 million and you put in 10 million and we can build a really nice park or road or you know, senior center. I don't know. I'm just making up things. I haven't seen any of these requests. Um, Emma, were there any other surprises in the budget this year that you want to address? Yeah, I think one of the biggest ones that a lot of folks are, are talking about and that stood out to me as well um, is the um, State Department of Education got a relatively small increase um, in their budget compared to, to most other agencies. Um, so the Department of Education ended up only getting a 0.5% increase. Um, and so that's little, if any, money, new money going into the funding formula. Um, as I said earlier in, on the podcast, um, when we don't match, when we don't increase agency budgets at the rate of inflation, um, agencies are seeing cuts in what they're able to buy. Um, and so with, you know, amidst large um and possibly record inflation. Um, I'm not an economist, so I can't necessarily speak to that. But when we're living in this time of inflation, um, to only give our State Department of Education a 0.5% increase um, is going to, to impact their buying power next year, is going to impact what they can and can't do for our students next year. Um, and so, especially as we're leaving, you know, $500 million in cash, as we're spending $700 million on a company that might be Panasonic as we have appropriated 250 million towards um, rural incentives. Um, this year, I think it was a surprise for a lot of folks that the State Department of Education and by extension, our public schools um, didn't also see a pretty big investment. Listeners, you may have noticed that we've talked about the budget only today and not about all of the other social bills that have come through the legislature this week. Um, that's by design, one, because this is when Emma could join us, and two, 
uh, because it's still happening. And I know for a lot of our listeners uh, and a lot of folks, it's still pretty fresh and we're still really, I think, sorting out and beginning to understand exactly what the implications of some of these bills will be. Um, most notably, you know, I think we've passed now the fourth quote, total ban on abortion uh, this session. Um, and I was on a call earlier today with a bunch of organizations, both from in Oklahoma and nationally, who were really trying to wrestle with the language about what does this mean for emergency contraception, like the, um, you know, the morning after pill? What does it mean for IUDs? What does it mean for all of this stuff? Lots of questions up in the air. And so we're going to press pause on that. And we will try to bring it back to you as soon as we can the hard part about that is that some of these had an emergency clause on them, which means they're effective right away. And it's uh, and difficult to, you know, difficult to talk about legislation that is immediately uh, in force when even those uh, minds and legal scholars and people who work on these policies uh, professionally haven't had a chance to really explore or understand what they mean. So that stuff's coming. I'm just a little disclaimer there. Um, Emma, as we kind of wrap up, I think the budget talks, um, how can listeners, I don't know, assess if this is a good budget? What are, what are the things that listeners could be looking for as we see headlines about state spending, as we see, you know, shifts between agencies that are happening, service Oklahoma becoming a huge department in the, uh, the OMES agency, uh, those things are there ways that that regular folks can kind of say, yeah, my my state's spending money in a good way, or I think I disagree. This is they're misspending the money somehow. Yes, that's a great question, and I have several thoughts on that. So I'll just take through a list here. Um, so every year after the budget comes out, usually around June, OK Policy will release our budget highlights um, post, and so. It'll have lots of different and very um, wonky, nerdy graphs that you might find interesting. Um, and then we'll sort of tick through each of the subcommittees. So what agencies are getting more, what are getting less. And so um, for listeners that are really interested in those nitty gritty details, look out for that. Um, for for everyone, honestly, um, you know, whenever we pass the budget um, as a state, it's often done pretty quickly. It's often done behind closed doors. It's often hard for members of the public to um, be engaged in the process. For example, this year, uh, the budget bills were um, released on Monday at 6 p.m. And I believe all of the major ones have passed out of the House and the Senate as of today. And so that's, you know, four business days um, for people who are working for people who are busy. I know it's May, everyone's kids are doing everything. Um, it's really hard to look at a budget bill and analyze what it means um, in four days on top of your regular jobs and activities. Um, and so I think one of the things is lawmakers need to hear that you want to know what's going on with the budget. They need to hear that members of the public um, care and are interested um, and have thoughts on how we spend our money. And so anything that people can do to communicate that or to ask questions to their legislator um, is really important. And then the last thing is that government manifests in our lives um, every day. We don't often think about it, right? But when we drive on a road, um, the quality of that road is a reflection of what the government is doing. 
um, what your child is learning at school is a reflection of how we're investing our money in public education. Um, and so think about and try to notice those things. If you're waiting in a really long line at DPS for a driver's license, that's a manifestation of government, right? So sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but what anything that we as members of the public can do to identify those things and to, to identify those issues or those successes that government is having and doing um, and then elevate those, I think is really important. So just observing what's going on, observing, oh, my weight at DPS this year is, is faster or slower than last year, or my kid is really loving school this year um, and is learning so much. I think we forget about those things sometimes, but that really is like a direct reflection of how well our government is, is running. So observing those things, um, keeping track of those things and communicating those things, I think is really important. It's so funny that you use that as the example, because one of my friends who is a listener to the show sent me a text message today uh, of a photo of the line. They got to a tag agency before it opened this morning, there was a line and it took them four hours to get in to get someone's driver's license or whatever they needed. And they were frustrated and they were like, isn't this like a government funded thing? Our tag agencies are private businesses, but it's they they provide a state service. And I think this person obviously knows that one of the big shifts that is going to happen is that tag agencies are going to take on more responsibility for government activities um, with this new service Oklahoma uh, department. And so it's just funny that you said that. I was like, I literally saw a picture of people waiting in line at a, our state's version of the DPS office, right? Um, yeah, and and with Service Oklahoma, they're hoping to mitigate that, right? So people, you, we should be able to witness that happening, and that's a great representation of what you know. Tax dollars together means lower or uh, shorter wait times at DPS or or tag agency or whatever. Um, so yeah, just keeping an eye out for that, I think, is really important. One can only hope. I do think it's important. I mean, it, it, to remember that we just because you have a good or bad experience doesn't mean that that's necessarily translatable. I think it's easy for us to examine our own experience and we should and say, oh, well, this is this is good or this is not good or this could use some work. Um, but things we highlighted, right? Like we highlighted that the education budget was mostly flat. Well, that's probably not great given where it's been. Um, but the disability waiting list is hopefully going away, right? They got a big influx of money that should allow for them to at least meet the needs of people who are currently on the waiting list. And that's good. If that happens, that is tremendous. Um, but there's everything with the budget, whether it's your personal budget, the state budget is a give and take there. You know, we all like spending money on fun things and not on, you know, utilities or bad things or whatever bills. Um, golly, I've, I think I got a insurance healthcare related bill in the mail today. That's never fun, right? That's always way too much money. Uh, and so, uh, listeners, as you, I guess, go about your life over the next year, stay tuned. You know, we'll certainly share OK Policy's budget information as we always do um, so that you can kind of have a better, more educated perspective on on what this budget looks like, especially because it came out of the shadows so quickly and got passed so quickly as it does almost every year. Uh, but then maybe pay attention more. This is a, an election year everyone who helped craft this budget is if they're running for office again, they're on the ballot and there's an opportunity for you to reflect your um, preference, your approval, your disapproval of them in that way. And that also means regardless of voting, 
they're going to be campaigning. People are going to be knocking doors, participating in candidate forums, meet and greets, all of these things. And it gives you, Oklahoma voter, the opportunity to talk to them, to build a relationship, to introduce yourself to them and say, hey, I'm a constituent and I really appreciate your vote on this bill or I really did not appreciate your vote on this bill, you know, or if you watched any of the debate on the floor this week, good golly, there were just some really difficult, hurtful things said um, that I, I just kept thinking after watching some of this that like, if these were on the screen during the evening news, a whole lot of these legislators would have to answer some big questions and probably be embarrassed, right? To see their own words being shown back to them. Um, I think it's easy to say things in that building with that mindset um, that people honestly may not feel or don't didn't intend it that way. And it's still, that's what we have to see to live with and it's harmful. Okay, well, I'm going to soapbox. I'm going to get off of that. Listeners, that brings us to the end of this episode. Um, Emma Morris from OK Policy, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Don't forget the deadline to register to vote for the June primary is June 3rd. That's in two weeks. That means you need to check your registration. Make sure you're still on the rolls. Go to elections.ok.gov. Log into the voter tool to do that. Uh, And then ask around. Talk to your friends, your family. Ask them if they are registered to vote. You don't have to. We can start there. People will say, I think so. Tell them to go check right? If you've moved recently, if you haven't voted in a while, there's a good chance you might not be there. In fact, I met someone last week who moved and was still registered at their old address. And it had been a number of years, I think more than 10 years since they voted. And the registration had been marked as invalid because they hadn't used it in that long. Uh, Don't let that be you. Go do it. Go register. You can get a registration online. You can print it. You can go to any tag agency. Hopefully you don't have to wait four hours to get it. Um, A lot of post offices have them too, but also you can just go to the election board and uh, print it off. That's a great way to do it. Okay. On that note, uh, as, as we say every week, decisions are made by those who show up. And this is a year that we all have a chance to show up. Have a good week.